Hello, and welcome to the AI Spectrum Podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Kane. In this series, we explore a wide range of artificial intelligence topics from all across Siemens and how they are applied to different technologies. Today, I am once again joined by Dr. Justin Hodges, an AIML technical specialist and product manager for SimCenter. Picking up from where we left off last time, talking about the way AI is creating new opportunities for interconnectedness and cross-pollination between different tools, which sounds like a major goal you're working towards. Do you have any goals for integration beyond a single suite of tools, such as other Siemens tools like NX or PlantSim, or even a broader range of tools beyond what we have at Siemens, such as open source tools or even tools from other vendors? Yeah, so this is where our customers really get a lot of benefit. Um, you know, you can use a lot of open source tools and uh, a lot of things in machine learning community, publications and codes have been made open source, which is a tremendously valuable thing. But, um, you know, if you work at a plant, you know, an airplane company and a part has a malfunction, you know, you really want to be less distracted by um, codes, manually running things, things like that. You want to focus on, you know, the principal area of what you're trying to do and the tools can enable that but not distract you too much. And as a part of that, you know, you can also have variation. Different teams work on something um, in a very hands-on the keyboard, like raw coding, open source way in terms of different ways of, of, of simulating, setting up, solving, etc. And, and you want to make standards so that everyone can kind of uh, do it the same way, even if they have different levels of experience in the company or in the field. And so that's where providing these tools um, makes our customers really better off as we've kind of tried to make that less of a factor so that they can be more standardized and things like that. Um, now to your earlier point uh, regarding different things that this can be done outside of SimCenter tools, um, the plant sim one is a great example. I think it goes back to like a classical optimization machine learning problem, um, you know, cause there's a lot of decisions in terms of logistics for factory automation and assembly chains and things like that. There's so many variables and possibilities. It exceeds, you know, even in simulation and design, like how many variables we usually have and, you know, options of permutations of different designs we could have. You know, it goes back to this like classical problem for machine learning or a simple example of like, you know, I want to go on a country, I want to go on a vacation and hit like five countries. It's really mega vacation, right? Uh, and uh, as far as every decision goes, I want to make it optimal, you know, the best food and every airport I stop, you know, I want to sit in this range of uh, the seats, uh, which obviously implicates the cost. Maybe I have a fixed budget. Um, I don't want any delays. I want to stay in certain places longer. You know, I want to even be as granular as like what types of excursions do I like and stuff like that. And so you have like basically unlimited number of options. Right. And as you, uh, you know, quickly find out it's a, it's a great optimization and machine learning problem because it's so open-ended um, and there's so many possibilities. And so I think that this has broad implications, you know, across SimCenter and, and well beyond SimCenter. Um, and yeah, you're right. Siemens has a lot of tools outside of, of SimCenter and basically in everything you could want to do. So I would say just, you know, at large, this has a very large impact for a lot of industries and uh, one of the things that we bring as a provider of the software and services is, you know, the standardization, lowering the bar of entry so people don't have to be experts to use these sort of methods or maybe it doesn't eat up a bunch of schedule time to set it up. Um, so that's that's something I think that we really are powerful at, uh, at at Siemens. 
Well, it's great. I mean, it sounds really helpful to be able to just kind of have everything work together, all the standards are standardized, and so that you don't have to be an, an AI expert to use an AI tool. Yeah, that's that's the major persona. You know, people are very smart, uh, and but you know, there's only so many, so much time in the day to focus on at work as far as your expertise goes. And it'd be great to incorporate and leverage a lot of methods without having to like have done your PhD on it. So the more we can infuse in their tool belt, the better. I kind of like to change tax here a little bit and maybe move and move back to the realm of simulation for a little while here. But kind of I'd like to build on the idea of putting if AI in simulation, but how do you see AI changing the landscape of existing physics-based simulations, such as through the use of physics-informed neural networks and other similar technologies? Yeah, well, I think everyone's favorite theorem to quote that's from engineering school is is no free lunch theorem, right? So I think there's no absolute win without any cost. And physics-informed neural networks have immense potential. They've generated an extreme, you know, amount of innovations in the field. Um, but it's still evolving and growing to be more and more usable by industry. Uh, it's something we're heavily looking at and testing and, and working with. So it's 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 identified as something important for sure, without a doubt. But you know, is it industry ready? Depends on the problem, and that sort of things. Um, but there's really a good place for it because um, you know, in one sense, you have simulations that uh, provide data and machine learning models that take that as the absolute truth, and um, you know, make conjecture and, and predictions from that. And that's not the whole story, right? You definitely would want other ways of, of, of uh, making a pipeline of machine learning where perhaps it doesn't rely on imperfect simulation data to treat it as 100% true all the time. And you do have these physics-based and uh, physics-informed neural networks types of approaches. And so they certainly have their place. Um, and it is very revolutionary to the field, that's for sure. Uh, it helps with uh, possibly reducing the data requirements for not needing as many simulations to train. Um, yeah, so I think it's I think it's a really powerful field, you know, and we're working on it because it's something that could definitely be a game changer in the technology. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I mean, if you can reduce the amount of data you need for training and stuff, but it does sound, I'm kind of reading here between the lines maybe a little, but maybe there are some challenges with this approach, like you're having some that it's not ready, maybe ready for the mainstream, quite ready to be adopted everywhere yet. Can you maybe talk a little about these challenges for us? Like what maybe we're, is holding back this uh, pins from just being used everywhere, for example. Right, right. So, I mean, it depends on the problem to address the specific challenges, challenges associated with it. But I think that one of the end goals is how general uh, your machine learning model can be. Um, I think that's like, even in a technical sense, like a trade-off when you train a model, like how specific it is to uh, learning your individual problem or your space, and thus a low amounts of error, you know, would be present because you're making your model highly tuned to that problem, uh, versus a very, very general model that can make predictions under a vast amount of scenarios and designs, in which case maybe you have, you know, higher losses when you train and stuff like that, because you're really trying to make it general so that in the cases that you use it going forward, you know, it's accurate. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely work to be done in making it industry ready and scalable for big problems and industrial problems with complex geometries and complex physics and stuff like that. Um, but there are places where it's successful. And essentially, our goal is to keep, keep, it, keep, keep it in motion and working on it and evolving with 
things in academia on this topic so that um, it can be used more in industry when it's ready. But I guess a key factor would be uh, speed and complexity. As you increase the complexity, you know, the speed drops off dramatically when using these sort of models. Uh, but then vice versa on simple, more simple problems, it's better. But as you know, um, industry tends to do very complex things to you know, have as realistic of a simulation as possible. But it's a key theme, you know, we, we want to have faster solving and faster insights for the customer and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's definitely a big pillar in what we're looking at. Thank you for giving me that answer. It's very informative. So I think you've, we've talked a little bit now about physics informed neural networks and of course a few of their challenges, but what are some of the major benefits? Some of the areas that would benefit most from uh, like AI and ML entering into that space with them, um, like, you know, maybe beyond physics, just in general, or? Yeah, there's a few, there's a few big things that you could consider uh, using machine learning for uh, in your simulation product or your, your physical measurement based product or add sim center, all, all variety of tools. I think it has a pretty universal impact and probably, you know, to an extent on several of these, like outside of just engineering. Um, but the other the, the one time I've talked about so far is like faster predictions, faster insights and things like that, you know, accelerating traditional methods so that our customers can get answers faster. That's certainly one is speed. Um, the other one I would say is, is um, convenience for the user. You know, if I can get from my simulation an extremely accurate answer and I don't need more accuracy out of it, out of my method, but it takes days and days and days to set up, well, that's, you know, not a perfect story. As we mentioned before, it, it, it is time to market and time to generate simulations is, is a key consideration. So, you know, our, our customers certainly require uh, innovation on how fast we can do things and, and how much work they have to do in setting up their simulations. And you see this all the time for like workflow assistants and recommender systems. I mean, you can see this well outside of the software for engineering, you know, very, very uh, intuitive layers laid over, you know, legacy software, with machine learning features so that it's, more intuitive, easier to use, less click miles, stuff like that. Um, and there's really a lot of other themes probably, but I could just say a big other one is complexity. You know, and this is kind of an intuitive thing about machine learning is it can provide insights that you otherwise wouldn't have available to you. So we have this software, we have this ability to model physics, um, but having these machine learning methods in our tool vault definitely increases the complexity that we're able to, to, to ascertain and to capture and harness with our uh, design insights and usage and stuff like that. Uh, you know, for example, I think a really popular field is uh, anomaly detection for machine learning on physical sensor data and stuff like that. And so, you know, if I, if I put like 30 analog signals in front of you in real time recording data for whatever device you want, it doesn't matter. Some, some instrumentation. I mean, it's me very hard for a human to understand literally anything while looking at the time series evolve. You know, it does add understanding and comprehension when you have these machine learning models that can quickly, you know, deduce red flags that show up on operator data and stuff like that. And then like alert the user to, to do something to, to prevent equipment damage or bad performance and stuff like that. So there's definitely a big element of, you know, new insights that you can have with machine learning. That sounds like a fantastic addition to any tool belt, really, in simulation and even just beyond simulation. 
I guess as a final question for you before we wrap this up, I'd like to ask, where do you see this technology going in the future? You know, as AI is starting to become more interconnected, integrated at every level of product design and testing and even usage, what are some of the like coolest innovations in the technology that you see coming out in the near future or even a little beyond that? Yeah, that's a fun question. Um, there's a few things, but even on those, I think, you know, I'm thinking pretty small as we tend to do as humans on, you know, thinking outside of what we're used to. But one thing that was pretty cool was a long time ago, maybe, I don't know, whenever the iPhone came out, long time ago, I was at a turbo machinery conference and had nothing to do with iPhones or that sort of thing. But the president of this huge power plant energy supplier company, Duke Energy, was speaking as the keynote. And he basically said that in the way they conduct their business, um, one of the biggest things that changed them over that time frame when the iPhone came out was the iPhone because it changed, you know, the level of expectation and convenience. And, you know, as Elon Musk likes to say, basically turns you into a cyborg in terms of being able to access vast amounts of information very quickly and do things with it, you know, beyond your human input output. Um, so a few years before the iPhone, it's like predicting how that would have an impact on everything. So it's a bit like that, you know, it's, it's super hard, but we try to think big, right? So I would say one thing as far as the future is definitely knowledge knowledge base and uh, system system information, you know. So you have so many products, so many different amounts of data that customers produce for different tests. You know, basically every large company has, you know, multi-country locations. So there's so many factors that go into all the data that's generated, all the data that's stored, all the data that's made use. And I think that number gets like super small each time when you go from all the data produced to all the data that's used. And so I think that there's a lot of ways machine learning can be implemented to, to try to fix that. Um, and thanks to our big, uh, you know, tech company overlords like Amazon and Google and Netflix and Facebook, you know, we've seen these huge innovations on cloud-based things and you know, database management and systems engineering to provide an infrastructure so this data can be communicated back and forth. You know, and I hope that engineering communities keep building that proficiency up and matching that and then uh, implementing machine learning so that it's very, very easy for people to, um, you know, do their daily work and then just have stuff appear sort of as knowledge to them. Like what you're about to do is 92% waste of time, because, and then points to other work that was done in the past, I say, oh, okay, great. You know, let me not spend $10,000 worth of resource on that, you know, sort of study, you know? So I think that's a big thing, you know? We've been generating a lot of data for a long time. I hope we can better use it going forward. And then in a silly way, you know, I'd love NLP to be incorporated in what we do so I could, you know, write emails and then just tell my, <laughs> tell my CAE software to do things and it would do things on voice commands so I don't have to do it and stop what I'm doing otherwise. That would be pretty awesome. I mean, to me, that just sounds like something out of Star Trek. Just say, computer, make me, a, make me something. Make me like a, a computer. Make me like a tricorder or something. And then it just does it. You don't have to think about it. It just knows what you want. It takes all that gathered data from generations and just makes it for you. Yeah, there's definitely been some exciting innovations. So we'll see what comes next. As I mentioned in the beginning, you know, there's no shortage of uh, money moving in this direction, people working on it from a research point of view, or, you know, people incorporating it into what they do 
in industry. So I think it's just a perfect recipe for an exciting future. No doubt about it. I couldn't agree more, but, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I think we're pretty much out of time here. So Justin, thank you for joining me here and giving your wonderful insights on AI and where it's going in the future. My pleasure. Nice discussion. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Once again, I've been your host, Spencer Akane, and this has been the AI Spectrum Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and be sure to catch our next episode. Mm-hmm.